Morning, everyone. Happy to be back up here with you guys again. You know, I got to tell you, it's, uh, I, I love being up here and getting a chance to share the word with you guys. But every time I do, it's a little bit, yeah, there's some nerves that build up with it. There just are. You know, you get up here, not sure. You don't want to mess it up, right? You're bringing God's word out to the people. So you don't want to, you want to get everything right. And I got up here with my daughter and, and it still was on my mind. Like, oh, I didn't do some things I wanted to do in the first service. I kind of missed it. And I, and I hope I don't mess it up. And then I stood up here and I looked in the back and there was this beautiful little girl with Minnie Mouse ears on. And I thought to myself, you know what? Everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> It's like God just puts those things where it's like, you know what? It's going to be just fine. <laughs> Nothing you can do. I got this. So I'm excited for this morning. Um, we've been going on this series on a journey with Jesus. We've been trying to walk through Jesus' ministry and what we call go beyond the felt board. So go beyond the big headings, the big storylines, and see how did he actually do his ministry? What did Jesus do to get out there and reach people? And so we can take some of those principles, and as we move towards the fall series here as a church and the ministry series, how can we apply those in our own lives? And so we're going to do that again today, right? That's, we're in the third of four uh, messages, so we're, we're going to travel along that. We're going to be in Mark 11, if you want to get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 11 today. Mark 11 is a big chapter throughout the Gospel of Mark. Um, there's three really big stories there. Uh, the triumphal entry, then there's the cleansing of the temple, and it concludes with Jesus' authority being questioned. So three really big stories. But our message today is actually on one that's woven in between all three of those. We're actually going to look at Jesus cursing the fig tree. And the cursing of the fig tree is broken up into two parts, and it's woven kind of in between there. And it's, it's a difficult story. It's a story that challenges us as Christians. It's a story that isn't easy to understand. And in fact, many times... We're, you know, we're reading the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple at a certain time of year, right? Palm Sunday, we get there. And we have a tendency to just brush by the fig tree story. We have a tendency to just pass over it. One, because it doesn't feel like it fits there. And two, because it's kind of strange story and difficult to understand. So we're actually going to get into this one today and, and see if we can bring some clarity to it and a message for us. So I'm going to read uh, verses, what, 12 through 25 today. And uh, and then we'll dive into our message. So Mark 11, verses 12, it says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it wasn't the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything into the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking for a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning... They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he has said will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will, it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven 
may forgive your trespasses. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for just a wonderful morning, Lord, um, to see the baby dedications and to hear that commitment from the families, the friends in the church, Lord, to hear what you're doing in the ministries up in Cleveland and through our youth. It's such an encouragement. Lord, today uh, we just ask that your presence be here, that the Spirit be here in this room, Lord. You manifest your presence. And so that the word that comes out today isn't a word from me or anyone else. It's your word that comes to us, Lord. And let that message be clear and sink into our hearts. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So Mark 11, the fig tree story, kind of difficult. Um, and this has been kind of a casual series, right? And what we want you to do is kind of look at things different. And, and what I would like you to do today is don't read this like you're here today just reading, you know, the context of what happened, right? I want you to get in the context of the story, all right? So we want to put ourselves in the setting. Imagine, right, for this triumphal entry, you're with Jesus. You're part of the 12 disciples right there that are moving there, the 12 that are with him. You're part of the crowd that's moving along, right? You're with Jesus. And it's this triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry is a procession into Jerusalem. Jesus had been up and he had been, we walked through it, preaching in the area of Galilee, okay? And now they're moving down for Passover. They're moving into Jerusalem where the temple is. But imagine you're with him, right? And you know what's happened everywhere else in his ministry. Pretty much everywhere he's gone, he's done some teaching and there's been miraculous things he's done. He's done miracles. He's done healings, right? The feeding of the thousands and he's drove out demons and all these great things. He taught everywhere and pretty much everywhere he's gone, whether it's cities or synagogues, he's come upon some opposition from church leaders. They've either tried to drive him out or they've opposed him in some other ways or questioned his teaching. And that was just in those areas. And now you're with Jesus, and he's moving down into the temple area, into Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the temple, this is, like, this is like the summit of the religion, right? This is the summit of the faith. This is the place where the Spirit of God is supposed to reside in the temple. And so if you put yourself in that position, you've got to be thinking, okay, what's going to happen, right? There's got to be some anticipation that's building up. Like, are they going to even let us get into the city? Are the religious leaders going to come out and just oppose us right away? Are they going to try to throw Jesus out? Or when Jesus gets in, is he going to start performing miracles right away? Is he, since it's Jerusalem and the temple, is something just giant and miraculous going to happen? What, you know, what's going to happen once we get there? And so to add on top of all that, this processional happens, right? The triumphal entry. It's Jesus fulfilling prophecy. He's getting on the back of this colt, right? And he's riding this colt in. And there's people that are surrounding him. They're throwing down their garments and their cloaks on the road. They're throwing down the branches on the road ahead of him. And they're shouting out praises. We can see earlier in Mark, they're shouting out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting out this praise. It's a big processional on the way in. All this anticipation and build up. And our text reads, As he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple. He looked all around at everything. And as it was late, he went out and left. Uh, it feels a little anticlimactic, right? Like there's all this buildup. It's a processional. Praises, laying down. He's riding in here. He's riding in as the king coming into Jerusalem. And he just looks around and leaves. No teaching, no miracles, no opposition. If I'm one of the 12, if I'm one of the people with him, I got to be thinking, it's not really what I expected would happen. Not what I was looking for. But they leave, right? They go back to Bethany. The next day is where our tech pick, text picks up for day. And it says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. 
And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it wasn't the season for figs. But he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, if you're one of the disciples, if you're one of these guys with him, you just experienced what you weren't expecting the previous day, you've got to be looking at this situation at each other like, what's up with Jesus? Like, what's going on? Like, I get that he's hungry, but it's a tree. And he knows it's not the season for figs. I mean, he just went up. It's not very Jesus-like, right? He just went up and cursed a tree when he knows it's not the season for figs. What's going on? First, nothing in the temple, and now this. And I got to tell you, it's a strange passage. It's a difficult passage. And I don't like to, it, you know, kind of bothers me when I relate Jesus to pop culture. But when I was going through this natural reading, I'm like, well, they, they, there's this series of commercials that kept coming through my mind. Tom, you want to play one of those clips? Coach, what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. I want you to go on the field, look for anything with an O. Let's kill them! With kindness. Jimmy, I want you to make balloon animals. Tyler, make little tea cozy, something fun. Are you okay? <laughs> we will win this for Mother Russia! Coach, eat a Snickers. Why is that, Chief? You get a little loopy when you're hungry. Better. Better. Now let's go for it! Yeah! Go get him, guys! You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You're not you when you're hungry, right? Jesus was hungry. He wanted a fig, and then he curses the tree because he didn't have one. It's not very Jesus. It's not you, right? It's not Jesus. And it's, it's funny, but it's something we can all relate to, right? I know for me, it usually happens in the morning, right? It's just, it does happen. I go out, I'm hungry, getting ready for work. I get my cereal, I get my bowl, I get my spoon, go to the fridge, and bam, no milk. And man, it just, it just sets the day off wrong. I saw it today, actually. Because in the first service, I don't know what second service, first service, people got here, they're all excited. They went over and there was no coffee. And let me tell you, you people need your coffee. I know that to be true. But this whole idea, it's, it's kind of funny. My wife was here in the first service and I didn't know whether to say it or not, but I went for it. This whole idea came very clear to me the first date I went on with my wife. So we're in high school. I go to pick her up for our very first date. I was taking her to lunch and she's upstairs in her house getting ready and uh, her mom's out in the kitchen. She says, Norman, I just got three pieces of advice for you. I thought, great, you know. First date, I'm nervous already. She said, three things to remember about Rachel. Don't ever let her get cold. Don't let her get tired. And whatever you do, do not let that girl be hungry. And after 11 years of marriage, I know exactly what she was talking about. Because you're just not you when you're hungry, Right? And I think, right, these stories are funny because we can relate to them, right? I'm sure you've been in that instance where you just, your attitude changes because you're hungry, right? And so we feel that. But that's actually probably where we start to struggle with this passage. Because we feel it because we're human and that just happens, right? But that shouldn't be Jesus, right? That doesn't fit our picture of Jesus and his character. It doesn't fit our picture of Jesus and his deity. You know, I, I didn't mention this in the first service, but I heard somebody say once, that the disciples in the first generation that was with Christ, they found it easy to see Jesus for his humanity because they were with him. They had a struggle in finding the deity of Christ. But every generation since then has found it easier to relate to the deity of Christ, Christ as God, and have found it harder to see the man in Jesus. And so is that what's going on here? Is Jesus just being human here? Is he just being callous? A little irrational even. 
Well, hopefully that's a struggle that we all have as we read through it and don't glance over at it today. And the reason I was encouraged to do this is because this particular passage and Jesus' actions here have been used over and over by people outside of the church to oppose the church and oppose Jesus Christ to show that these actions are not godlike. These actions oppose his deity. These actions are something that don't go along with the characteristics of God. And so they can't believe in him as God. One of the most famous ones, famous if you will, Bertrand Russell, probably the most familiar uh, atheist of the last 200 years. He uses this passage, or used, excuse me, this passage and said that Jesus, in what he's doing here, he's acting irrational and vindictive. He said that if you read through this, it was well known that it wasn't a season for figs. And so he cursed an innocent tree because it wasn't the season. And he said what it shows about Jesus is nothing more than in the areas of virtue and knowledge. He's so much lower than other people. He says he'd actually in those two characteristics put Buddha and Socrates ahead of him in areas of virtue and knowledge. He should have known it wasn't the season, and then to just go and curse this thing shows the vindictive nature of Christ. So how could he be God? It doesn't fit the characteristics. And so with a difficult passage like this, we can, we've got one of two choices. We can either dig into this thing, or we can excuse it and just put it up to this humanity like Bertrand did, and then we're going to struggle with the deity of nature of Christ. Do we think God is irrational and vindictive? Well, lucky for us, there's really only three verses here. Um, so we don't have a whole lot to sink our teeth into. But what we need to do is find out, okay, first of all, is there anything that we know about Jesus Christ that would support him acting in kind of an off-the-cuff, callous, irrational way? Is there anything that we've seen about Jesus, read about, know about him that would support him acting like this? And then the second thing is we should probably know a little bit about fig trees because we're probably not all that familiar, right? So the first part about Jesus is probably a little easier for us. We're familiar. Even if you had just been with Jesus up until that time, there's a few things you know about Jesus. He's friends with pretty much everybody. He's very selfless, right, and outgoing. He's always looking to teach people. He's doing healings and miracles for the good. Um, he holds love in the highest esteem, okay? And he's traveling around for everybody. He's not just singling out certain individuals, and there's that little piece about him being the son of God, right? Now, is any of that that we know about Christ at this point, any of the actions, the healings, the teachings, the miracles, anything that he's done, even his reaction when he's faced opposition from the church leaders, none of it supports this idea of him just being off the cuff, callous, vindictive, any of that stuff. It seems odd. Nothing else that we have would support that. Okay. There's another piece here. You see... Not only did he curse the fig tree, but we know as we read in our text, that tree withered immediately. And see, that's what makes this actually a miracle. The cursing of the fig tree and its destruction is a miracle because trees don't wither immediately. It goes against the natural laws. It goes against nature. It, the only thing it corresponds to is God and his sovereign law. And so him cursing the fig tree and it withering and being destroyed immediately makes it a miracle. But if we were to look through our scripture, we know that Jesus was involved in around 40 miracles. If you go back to the uh, virgin birth through the ascension. And of those 40, this is actually the only one that's a miracle of destruction. It's the only one. Everything else is what we'd say is good miracles. It's healings. It's feeding people. 
It's walking on water. It's driving out demons. This is the only one that's a miracle of destruction. And so we've got characteristics of Jesus that don't support him acting in a callous way. We've got a miracle that for some reason is different than how all the other miracles have been to this point. So that's difficult. And then we've got this thing about him, that kind of this illogical piece, right? It says it was the season for, it was not the season for figs. So if he's really God, if he's really all-knowing, if he's really omniscient, why would he expect there to be figs? Does that put his deity in question? And so that's where figs come in, right? We need to know a little bit about fig trees just so that we're on the same page. And I'll, granted, I'll just let you guys know, I'm not a gardener, I'm not a farmer, my mom is, I don't know, planting trees, that stuff's not in my vocabulary, I don't know a whole lot about them. In fact, when it comes to figs or fig trees, the, my knowledge is pretty much limited to, uh, you got that picture, Tom? Yeah, there it is. That's pretty much the limit of my knowledge of figs. Delicious, but that was pretty much it. But I wanted to get this right for you guys, you know, so we, if you don't know anything, you start studying. So I did some research, and then I did a little bit more research, and then uh, I wanted to make sure I got it right, so I did a little bit more research. And what I found, first of all, I found a couple things. This is the most delicious sermon prep I've ever done in my life. It was fantastic. Figs wrapped around a cookie was just awesome. That was great, but, but in reality, right, funny, but Figs, there's some really unique things about fig trees. We don't have them around here a lot because they're not supported in this climate. And if they are, you have to have a lot of care for them. But where Jesus was in that area in the Mediterranean, especially around Israel, very common. Many types of fig trees. We can find out about fig trees is that they have two harvests per year. Late spring, early summer, and then a fall harvest. Their uh, fruit is used for, it's used for sale, right? For profit, for monetary value. It's used for uh, nutrition. Um, but there's something very unique about fig trees that's not to most of the other fruit trees that we have. Fig trees, if they're going to have fruit in the year for either of those harvests, they actually get these small, if you can put the picture up, Tom, these small green figs that come on. They're known as the poor man's fig. And they, they come in there and they begin to bud off of the previous year's fruit that's picked, off the previous year's sprout. But the real unique piece of this is, for the fig tree, these, this fruit begins to bud before the leaves come in. And so before leaves ever get on the tree, you're going to have these fruit begin to bud, which is counter to most of the trees we have. They're going to be in full leaf, and then the fruit eventually comes on them. Why is that important? Well, it's important because if we're looking at Jesus expecting there to be fruit on it and going over to this and saying, well, he should have known he's God, there should have been. If the tree was going to have fruit for a harvest that year, there should have been this early poor man's fruit on the tree. But we find that he went to the tree. It was full in leaf. It looks like it should have fruit there, and it doesn't. And so now we've got a couple pieces we can start to put together. And then we can start to say, okay, well, we have nothing in Jesus' character that supports him being callous and irrational. We've got a miracle that we've got to investigate that's a little different. And then we've got this piece of fig tree that, okay, there should have been figs, but there wasn't. So that takes the illogical piece out, but it still doesn't say why he was irrational and just callous for cursing this tree, right? And what we can postulate, what we can start to find out is that Jesus was using this for another purpose. Well, what purpose is it? It's not clear, so we need to go to another source. You know, it's funny, when we talk about Jesus and I ask you guys, if I were to ask you guys, okay, what do you know about Jesus? Everybody's going to probably go, what you learned here, Right? And if I were to ask you, what do you know about fig trees? Most people would probably go to Google, right? And it's just what it is. 
But if we go to our scripture, we find out some more unique things. You see, figs and fig trees are all over scripture. They're all over. Hopefully when I read some of these verses to you, you'll realize it. They're all over scripture. They're all the way back from the beginning with Adam and Eve when they used fig leaves to sew together for garments. Probably not well, but they sewed them together for garments. Figs were early in scripture. They're used in scripture for their fruit. They're used in scripture for their shade. But the most common occurrence of fig trees throughout all scripture, there's 60-some occurrences in over 28 of the 66 books, is in prophecy. You see, figs and fig trees were used by God to tell us what the status was of the nation of Israel in his sight over and over again. Let me read a couple of these to you. In Jeremiah 24, he actually talks about the good and the bad. 24 verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like the good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away. He goes later to talk about the bad, bad figs. But says the Lord, like the bad figs, they're so bad they can't be eaten. So I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem. Over in Hosea 9, it says, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. And hear this, like the first fruit on the fig tree, I saw your fathers. The first fruit in the fig tree. Micah 7, the beginning, talking about the misery of Israel, says, Woe! is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered and when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, hear this, no first ripe fig my soul desires. And we can go all the way over to Jeremiah. You can go to Jeremiah 8. It goes on. It's throughout Scripture, this idea of figs and fig trees representing the status of Israel in front of the nations. Not just the status, but prophecy of what was going to happen because of Israel's obedience or disobedience in the eyes of God. That brings on a whole new element to us for this. The scripture that looks very strange and unclear now is like, okay, well maybe Jesus was using this as an instance to teach people. Okay, but he doesn't go on explaining it. There's nothing in here that starts explaining it. So what was he teaching? Well, that's why this, this scripture is wonderful, how it starts here, is separated by the cleansing of the temple, and then picks back up with the withering of the tree. So let's see what the next thing happened was. He goes into the temple, right? They came to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying, and here's where it pulls it all together. The strangeness of the anticlimactic thing entering Jerusalem for the first time in the temple. The oddity of Jesus being callous. What's going on? His reference right here is what begins to pull it all together. He says, is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And what he does actually is he, he quotes two pieces of scripture. He quotes Isaiah 7, and then we're going to get into Jeremiah. Isaiah 7 says, I will bring to my holy mountain, or bring them to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. What Jesus is doing, he's gone into the temple, right? He's performing judgment on the temple because what they're doing is using it for a purpose other than what it was set out. And he explains to him here what the temple was supposed to be used for. It wasn't because they were having money changers. It wasn't because they were selling pigeons for sacrifices. That's okay. Those things could have happened in the temple. It's because they were using them for their purpose 
and not God's. They weren't conforming to what was happening here. And then if we go to Jeremiah 7, he finishes and references here. It says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to other gods that you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? He's referencing back to how this happened before in reference to the nation of Israel. He's saying, this is what, in Isaiah 56, this is what the temple's supposed to be. You religious leaders, this is what you're supposed to be adhering to and making happen. And rather than that, you're doing this. You have this beautiful building, this beautiful temple. It's the center of religion. You're the heads of the religion, right? Heads, leaders of the faith. And you're not doing what you're supposed to. You just have all the leaves to make it look like it. You're just this beautiful tree of the faith. And then you're going about your own business. You're going about all these sinful ways and not my ways. Hopefully you can begin to see the parallel here and what he was doing. And, and let's step back. See, I love this because what, what we're going to see is Jesus has actually woven this together beautifully. Because what looks odd, based off of the entry of the temple and then leaving, what looks odd about Jesus there and then this piece of driving them out, actually, if we were to step through it with this knowledge, seems perfect. Imagine, once again, you're walking into the temple with Jesus for the first time, right? In this processional. And what's supposed to happen you're supposed to go into the temple and see what? You're supposed to see what Isaiah 56 said. You're supposed to see a house of faith, prayer, and worship. You're supposed to see sacrifice being performed to God, for God. That's the stuff you're supposed to see. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't see it. And those with him don't see it. And what Jesus knows is now judgment is going to be coming upon the temple and the leaders for their actions. And so he leaves, and on the next day, Jesus is hungry, and he comes upon this fig tree. And knowing what you know now about fig trees related to the status of the nation of Israel, Jesus comes upon this fig tree full in leaf that should have these first fruits on it, and it's barren. Is it now not a strange occurrence, but rather a perfect occurrence to act out a parable, to teach those with him what was about to happen when they got into the temple? A perfect parable to show how this tree that looks gorgeous and beautiful and full in leaf and is not doing its job, not producing its fruit, is going to be cursed just as the temple and its leaders are going to be cursed. And so that's what happened. Jesus goes in and he curses this tree for not producing fruit, not doing what it's supposed to do. Just as he's about to go in and curse the temple and the religious leaders, drive them out, perform judgment upon them for what they weren't doing. And we need to remember here, too, that it wasn't just judgment that he did. There was also destruction. You see, he judged the tree for being beautiful in leaf but barren of fruit. And because of that judgment, destruction came upon it. The tree withered up from its roots. And we find that it's a perfect parable because not only did Jesus judge those in the temple, the temple itself and what was being happened, but we find just a short bit later, the beginning of chapter 13. It says, And they came out of the temple. One of the disciples said to Jesus, 
Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Just as the tree was destroyed because of its judgment for not doing its job, not doing what it showed it was going to do, so too the temple and the nations of Israel would be destroyed as well. That's what Jesus was doing. He was enacting a parable. Something that looks so difficult at first and odd and like we just glance over it is actually a beautiful lesson he's taught to all of us. And as I walked through this lesson, I tried to figure out, you know, how am I going to present this and everything? You want to make sure you drive application into our lives. And a lot of times you want to drive applications all the way through. But I thought this best if my hope was that if we provide clarity in God's message, the clarity in the application in our lives would also be shown. The application for us is the same as it was for Israel and the leaders and those in the temple. The application is to not be a tree full in leaf without producing any fruit. And what does that mean, right? What does that mean for us in our lives? Well, here on Sunday morning, let's get some examples. On Sunday morning, what it means is don't come through these doors, right? Jesus isn't looking for you to come through these doors in his house of prayer, faith, and worship and then sit in these seats and just forget to worship God. Sit in these seats and think about, not about God, but about what's going to go on this week, about what's going to happen after this, about where you're going to go to lunch. Focus on, on your phone or email. You're in his house of prayer and worship. You should be praying and worshiping God. Don't just show the leaves by showing up. Produce the fruit. How about our Bible studies and our daily application? Are we really, really good at getting into the word? We're really good at studying the word daily. We've got our devotions. We do all those stuff and everything's great. But we don't live any of the application out in our lives. We don't live the principles that we learn out in our lives. Are you just showing the leaves of following Christ because you're reading it daily, but you're not able to apply it in your lives? You're not taking the principles out? Produce the fruit as well. And then what about reaching people? Are you just leaving this church with this this this? picture of yourself and this title above you that says I'm a Christian and you go about your daily life and you, the way you interact with your friends, your family members, the people at work doesn't meet what that title Christian says. You dress one way, you look one way, maybe even hold your chin pretty high because you come to church and you're saved but you don't interact with people or try to lead them to the Lord. You don't share the message with God and them. You don't act in a Christianly way to them. That's being the truth that's in leaf and has no fruit. And what God wants is for us to be both, right? He wants us to look like a Christian, but we need to be producing fruit as well. And I love actually how he ends this. Because there's one more odd piece to this, right? The odd piece is at the end, this whole scripture is full of kind of difficulties. See, it ends as they pass by in the morning and Peter says, look, Rabbi, the tree that you cursed is withered, right? It's miraculous. It withered up from the roots. And Jesus has an opportunity here to say, yeah, that's right. It did. I did that, and here's why I did that. And just, just talk more about it and focus on the withered fig tree. He could have focused in chapter 13 more on the temple that's going to be destroyed, but he didn't. What he did is he took the time to talk to them about what they should have seen and learned when they went in the temple. What was the temple supposed to be? It's a house that goes by his name. It's a house of prayer. And Jesus says, yeah, he doesn't even acknowledge it. He just says, you know, yes, it was cursed. Let me teach you about faith. Let me teach you about prayer. Let me show you what you should have seen and learned when you first came in there. 
Let me show you that. And I love it. I love that picture because it shows us that it's not what this building looks like. It's not what we look like coming in here, right? It's the actions that happen. It's the faith and prayer and worship that happens here is what God's looking for. Hopefully that provides a little bit of clarity to this story. The band's going to come up here. We're going to do one more song. But I wanted to end with a couple things. I wanted to end with a word of caution for all of us out of this story and then a word of encouragement. The word of caution is the withering of the fig tree is one of the miracles of Christ. Okay? It's a miracle because it was unnatural. It didn't happen based on nature's laws and nature's timing. Right? It happened based on God's timing. And for all of us who are out there and we think, well, I'll produce fruit eventually. I'll get to talk to my neighbors eventually, right? Maybe I'll go on a mission trip eventually. I'll go out and actually say Jesus' name aloud outside somewhere eventually. I'm just not there yet. We don't know when God's judgment's coming. It's not coming on your timing. I can guarantee you that, okay? So that's the word of caution. Don't keep putting it off because you think you've got more time and that Jesus will just wait for you, okay? That's being a tree and leaf without producing fruit. But the word of encouragement to all you guys, actually, it's, it's great how God works this out. Len's, Len's discussion here this morning just works this out perfectly. Jesus didn't judge the tree because it wasn't producing an abundant fruit. He didn't judge the tree because of the quantity it had. He didn't judge the tree because of it had the most beautiful fruit or the ripest fruit. He judged the tree because it looked like a tree that should be producing fruit and it wasn't doing its job. It wasn't doing what it showed it was supposed to do. So we don't go out there and think to yourself, well, I've got I've to go reach 10 people this week. I, go to, I have to go reach. If I don't go reach my mom who I've been trying to reach forever, then I'm just failing in this. I'm not producing fruit. You know, don't keep looking at failure for this because of what type you're producing or how many. Jesus isn't looking for that. Jesus is just looking for you to go out and produce fruit just like you're showing you're supposed to be. And the, the piece I love about producing fruit is Len came up here and talked to you about this. They went on this ministry trip to, to Cleveland. And we hear stories like that, and it's like, man, that's awesome. Like, when we do special things, God shows up. When we go on, a, if I could go on a missions trip, I could see that fruit produced, right? I could see the fruit produced there, and God would show up in amazing ways. And that's, that's what it looks like. I can't wait to do that. God didn't show up there. Fruit wasn't produced because they went on a missions trip. It wasn't because they left this building and went to Cleveland. Fruit was produced because they said, yes, Jesus, I will. Because they shouted when Scripture said to shout. Because they clapped when Scripture said clap. And when we do what God asks us to do, when we're obedient, and we don't just go up to Cleveland looking like a church that's going to produce fruit, when we actually go and say yes and produce fruit, God's going to answer. He's going to be there. That's what you need to have in your mind is when we go to this fall series and how we're going to reach out to our communities it's not who or how many. It's just, are you doing what God asks you to do? Thanks, guys. Hey, we sing this last song.